Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, we talk about what the Detroit Pistons talked about during Media Week. Ben Gulker and I discuss Derrick Rose and Blake Griffins being leaders for this young team, Troy Weaver showing that he has a sense of humor after all, the all-hands-on-deck approach to Killian Hayes' development, and which new Piston reminds me of the second-round pick who got away. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson. Pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. How are you doing, Ben? Laz, I'm doing well. It's been a long off-season. We are on the brink of something new. I'm excited about that. And, you know, uh, I feel like I'm in the best podcast shape of my life and just happy to be part of the organization and ready to do whatever you need me to do. How are you doing, Les? I'm doing great. I uh, I feel like we have a really great team here this season. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I don't know if you guys could tell. It's uh, it's media week here for the Detroit Pistons, and so we're getting all the quotes uh, about like how everyone's in the best shape of their lives and they're ready to contribute. But uh, yeah, we're gonna and we're gonna talk about some of the more interesting things that we heard from players and coaches during media week. Uh, starting with Dwayne Casey's thoughts on Killian Hayes. Dwayne Casey said, I think Killian Hayes can play big minutes. Some of the goal this year is to force feed the young players while competing. Ben, force feeding the young players, that sounds right up your alley. This is something that you were kind of concerned about like when we spoke last week. How did, how did that quote make you feel? Laz, I am here for this quote. This is everything to me. <laughs> if this was the only quote we had to talk about, I feel like I'd be happy. <laughs> Uh, with especially hearing for this from Dwayne Casey, right? Because, you know, he he's the guy who had me concerned based on the way he, he's coached in the past. But, man, I, I'm really, really thrilled to hear this from Coach Casey. And uh, I think, you know, Casey has a history of being good at developing young players. Um, I wonder how, how, how well he can really do, how much he can excel when that's really his focus. So I'm definitely excited about this. Yeah, I think... I think last year it was tougher just because like you're making a midseason adjustment, right? You came into the year with expectations. Um, those expectations change in December, January as Blake Griffin gets hurt. Uh, but this year, like you've had, you've had nine months to kind of, you know, get your head around the, the development of young talent. You didn't know exactly the young talent you would have until, you know, two and a half weeks ago or whatever. But now you've got these guys in and you're ready to look at them and, and see how they do. And so I think it's just like a mentality switch, you know, when I think it helps that uh, a lot of the rookies, they, they seem to like, right? Like we, uh, I got some more quotes from Casey, Casey talking about uh, Kelly and he said, it's not your typical rookie. He sees things defensively, which we know is important for Dwayne Casey. You got to play defense in order to, in order to play under Dwayne Casey. 
Casey went on to say he sees things offensively. He had three or four blocked shots today from the guard position, which is hard to do without fouling. Um, so, like, you know, just the the fact that I think, especially the, the guy they took at the top of the draft is ready to go right away makes the kind of, like, load on uh, Casey's mind about how they're going to compete and, uh, you know, com- be competitive in games a little bit easier, you know? Yeah, and that's the money quote from Coach Casey. If Casey is happy with Killian's defense, I think that puts a lot of my fears to rest about uh, the amount of time he's going to get, how long his leash is on offense, right? Because I think I talked about this last week. I certainly expect a young point guard to have typical young point guard struggles. He's going to turn the ball over sometimes. He's going to have rough shooting nights. All that stuff's going to happen. Uh, but if he's solid defensively, that gives me a little more confidence that, uh, you know, Casey is going to stay the course with him a little bit and let him play through some of those mistakes on offense. Yeah, I think I think what helps me feel good in that department as well is like what Derek Rose had to say about Killian. It's like Derek Rose said, Killian Hayes, I told him he was the future of the team. There's no competing. My job, Derek Rose's job, is to push him and groom him into a great po- into a great player. I love his game. It's an honor to play with a talent like that. Me being 6'3", I'm like a dinosaur playing with guys like him. Uh, I don't I don't know if that's true, Derek. I don't know if you're quite like a, a dinosaur per se, but I think that like if a guy like Derek Rose is coming in and saying like, hey, like no, Killian, like my job is to support you and like facilitate you being at your best. It's really easy for the coach to be like, okay, yeah, sure. No, like, we can absolutely do that. Right. And you, you appreciate the, the humility from a guy like Derek Rose in this situation. Well, you certainly appreciate the humility. Absolutely. And boy, you know, Derek Rose, since he's been in Detroit has really been impressive. You know, as we talked about some of our apprehensions about him coming to Detroit, but I think, you know, in his time here, he's been exceptional. He's had a positive attitude. He has played hard. I think every, every time he's been healthy and been on the floor, he's played hard and, Look, this is a former MVP we're talking about here, heaping praise on Killian Hayes. So, you know, I'm inclined to take that seriously. And, you know, I also think we haven't heard Derrick Rose say anything like this about anyone on Detroit Pistons, right, since he's been here. So, you know, hopefully that speaks to the fact that Killian Hayes is a little bit ahead of schedule in terms of how ready he is to contribute. Yeah, I mean, and you think about, again, like you think about the situation we got out of Derrick Rose last year. He's coming into uh, a team with playoff aspirations to be like a 25 minute a night uh, scorer off the bench. Like you can understand why he wouldn't necessarily speak up all the time, right? Or like why he felt like he didn't necessarily have to be a leader in the locker room with guys like Blake Griffin, with established guys like Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson in that locker room already. You can understand like why he was less vocal. Right. Like he even had a quote about that uh, during media day. He said, uh, I'm not the guy that's going to come in and say something right off the rip off of just what I did in the past. Like I'm the past is the past. So you understand, like, even though he's like a former MVP, he's understanding that, like, you know, I just can't come in the locker room and like say, like, hey, I'm a former MVP. Like, this is the way we're going to do things. Um, and so you could see him kind of assimilating uh, into the culture. And now that but now, like, he's being placed in a leadership position right like now he's talking about how him and Blake Griffin like have to set the tone for the young guys and and so like we're hopefully going to see a little bit more like vocalization of that from Derek this season which would be like really unexpected right like we uh Derek Rose has generally been like a pretty like quiet dude uh even like 
uh, earlier in his NBA career, like when he was more of a star. And so uh, it's it's not necessarily like it's a good it's a definitely a good thing. But I, I got to say, like, I didn't see this level of leadership coming from Derrick Rose. Not because like I thought Derrick Rose would be like bad for Killian Hayes, but I, I didn't necessarily see like what kind of a leader Derrick Rose is going to be. And these quotes made me like feel a lot better about him, like mentoring Killian Hayes, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think last week we talked about, or at least I talked about, you know, you don't want Killian Hayes to become Derrick Rose, right? Like Derrick Rose, right. his game is a little bit, of, it's transitioning out of the NBA, right? So we don't want Killian to become that. But at the same time, there's a wealth of knowledge and experience uh, that Derrick Rose obviously has. And of course, there are parts of Derrick Rose's game that we would absolutely love for Killian to adapt and, and sort of meld into his own skill set. So yeah, across the board, great stuff from Derrick Rose this week. Yeah. All right. The next big kind of guy quotable I wanted to pull from was Blake Griffin. Uh, Blake had a bunch of interesting stuff to say in his media availability. The first things first, he's just like, there's a lot of changes. I was prepared for that. I like the pieces we got. We got most importantly, great guys, but guys who compete and work hard. And uh, he went on to say, if developing young guys is the goal for this season, I'll do whatever they ask of me. I'll spend time with the young guys, try to teach more, listen more, whatever it is. So, Ben, that doesn't exactly like sound like a guy who's like clamoring to get out of Detroit. Um, but I still kind of have this feeling that like I'll do whatever you've, you'll ask of me is not like the most enthusiastic endorsement I've ever heard of a rebuilding plan in my life. What did, what did you think of uh, Blake's feeling about uh, the restructuring of the team around him? Yeah, well, this this to me is the quote that stands out as kind of the best shape of my life season quote, right? Like, <laughs> this is, you're right, it's not a ringing endorsement. I mean, certainly he understands basketball, he understands the league, and I'm sure he understands this is the right time for the franchise to rebuild. But yeah, I think if you read between the lines, it's, it's pretty obvious he's going to have a positive attitude. He's going to be a professional. He's going to embrace whatever role he's asked to embrace. And as he should, right? He's, he's getting paid 30 plus million dollars to do his job. He's going to do it. And and I think you like that. But, but certainly, I mean, I think everyone in the NBA knows that Blake Griffin's next situation uh, is, is probably desirable sooner rather than later, later for, for everyone, right? I, I think it makes sense for the Pistons. It makes sense for Blake Griffin. But having said that, um, you know, half a season of, of Blake Griffin and Killian Hayes working together, there's certainly value in that for Killian Hayes, I think. So um, I think the fact that Blake is willing to embrace that role uh, is obviously a positive. I, I think the interesting thing, though, that Blake said is actually in the quote right before the first thing that you said, uh, when he said, I was prepared for that, that was really interesting to me. Uh, it, you know, I don't want to read too much between the lines, but it sure sounds to me like um, maybe Troy Weaver and Blake Griffin had some conversations before the offseason started, right? And they wanted to make sure Blake Griffin was in the loop. Uh, so I, I kind of wonder what else they discussed, right? Other than the rebuild. <laughs> yeah. So what, what other things did they talk about uh, prior to all this happening? Yeah, I you you have to hope that they came to an understanding about Blake's long-term situation in Detroit uh, in that conversation. And if you remember, like Troy Weaver talked about how like one of the when he got the job, one of the first people he reached out to was Blake Griffin. Um, just because he knows like how important it is to have uh, 
kind of like immediate uh, good contacts and relationships like with whoever the star player is on your roster. And so I'm not I'm not surprised that Blake Griffin and Troy Weaver have, have talked about this. But uh, and even as um, as we go, right, like I, I want to say that uh, like we I appreciate this from, from Blake. I appreciate the uh, ability to sublimate your ego and desires about like how you think your career should be going right like we we're currently seeing in the nba right now what happens when guys don't want to do that with the james harden situation right like james harden hasn't yet reported to rockets uh training camp he's got to like isolate for a couple more days because those are the rules uh he was on like instagram at a strip club for a rapper's birthday like throwing a bunch of money and like you know mere like 24 hours before like training camp is supposed to start and he's doing all this while he has a like a an implicit like trade demand to Brooklyn and he's doing all this because he's unhappy about the state of the team right he's he's unhappy about his current situation like you know Blake Griffin isn't a uh, like an MVP like James Harden and he's not uh the same type of player right now that like James Harden is but like if Blake Griffin like wanted to he like absolutely could be like you know I like no like this isn't what I want uh, I like I talked to Troy Weaver in June and like I thought I would be traded, but I'm here now. So like, you know, it is what it is. I'm just here. But like he's not he's not doing any of that. And I, I think like we should we should just stop and be grateful that he's not doing any of that. Exactly. Yeah. It, it is so refreshing to have a guy like Blake Griffin with a, a positive attitude and doing all of the right things, especially when, as you pointed out, you've got close to catastrophe brewing uh, out in Houston right now. Yeah. Uh, one more interesting thing that we got from Blake was about a rookie that sometimes I like don't really factor into the rotation. Uh, Blake said Sadiq, Sadiq Bay has one of the most complete games I've ever seen from a rookie. One of my favorite things about him is his hunger for getting better and for the game of basketball. We also got uh, we got got a news that like Blake and Sadiq kind of worked out in Los Angeles prior to training camp. Uh, that's where Blake lives. That's where Sadiq was like working out. Um, ben, I I, I kind of forgot about like Sadiq Bay, Sadiq Bay, nineteenth uh, overall pick out of Villanova. Um, when you when you heard that quote from Blake, like what where did your mind go? Well, the Pistons certainly gave up a lot to get him, right? So we've I well, I'll say I've been a little bit critical of the route that the Pistons took to get him. Uh, having said that, that certainly is another pretty significant vote of confidence from a guy who knows what he's talking about, right? Um, I, I also did not expect to hear complete, right? So that's the word that jumps out at me. Uh, you know, I think when I've been reviewing um, – what Sadiq potentially brings to the table, especially as a rookie, we're kind of hoping for stretch the floor, uh, knock down open shots when you've got them and improve yourself to be a better than average NBA defender. Right. And then from there, obviously you build on that, but that's kind of what you're hoping for. Um, but when we hear about him being a more complete player than that, I mean, that would really be icing on the cake because that's, that's certainly not what I saw uh, as we did a little bit of scouting after we picked him up. Mm-hmm. I when I think about six eight uh, wing defender types who uh, get drafted by the Pistons and you just expect them to come in and make make some open shots and play some good team defense and they end up blossoming into more than that. I think of a guy like Chris Middleton, right? Mm-hmm. 
I think of uh, a, a guy who the Pistons kind of gave up a little bit early on and who has developed into much, much more than your typical like three and D wing. And so when Blake Griffin said, said that it made me think like, Oh, like, okay. Like maybe, maybe we've got another ball handler type, like in our possession that we weren't really expecting. I know we were expecting like maybe, maybe Seku takes on some of that role, uh, you know, handling the ball, creating for others. I'm sure Jeremy Grant thinks he's going to take on some of that role because they're, they're paying him 20 million to do so. But, um, you know, if they have another guy who can possibly uh, take on that role in Sadiq Bay, like that's a great thing from a team construction perspective, because that's what, you know, every team is looking for those six, seven, six, eight guys who can handle the ball and, and play de- team defense and shoot. And so, you know, we'll, I will, we, we got to wait till Friday to see all of these like elements get put together in one thing. But I got to say, I'll be paying closer attention to Sadiq Bay than I otherwise would be if, if Blake like hadn't said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and, and you know, Sadiq will be fighting with Seku. Uh, we got a little bit from Seku earlier this week as well. Um, Seku talked about his conditioning, right? He talked about, uh, well, let, let's just quote him. He said, for, for everybody, if you're in better condition, like you do everything that you want better. You, you're a better defender. You do everything better. Uh, my offseason is one of the best that I've done. I learned a lot about myself and my game. I've been working every day. You know, Ben, for, for a guy who came over uh, from France with question marks about his work ethic and uh, his on-the-court motor, and for a guy who we saw those questions kind of not really get answered in his first year in the league, uh, what did you think about him You know, speaking directly to the fact that he had to get in better condition uh, in, in training camp? First thing it, it says to me very clearly, it, it's something that to me as an evaluator and a fanalist is important, is self-awareness. Right, so these guys are best of the best on the entire planet. Uh, and look, we're all susceptible to blind spots about ourselves. But you know, just consider when you already know you're one of the best athletes in the entire world. So to me, with a kid as young as Seiku, uh, being able to acknowledge just right from the jump, look, I, I needed to work on my conditioning, and I did. Uh, that says a lot to me. So I, I'm really happy about that. Look, there's, there's lots of unanswered questions about Seku, but that is absolutely what jumped out about that quote. He was aware uh, of you know the, the limitation in his game, and he, he took some time to work on it. That's exactly, I think, what you want out of a, a young player and a young second-year player like Seku. Yeah, I think that we, we, we really need to see like Seku uh, address that concern this offseason. And uh, I think that, you know, we we put Seku like in competition with some of these other guys, like with with Sadiq Bay, with Josh Jackson, with Jeremy Grant for playing time. Right. And I think that, you know, we Seku obviously didn't know the construction of the roster uh, like we did during the bulk of the offseason. But I'm sure they had to be communicating with him like, hey, you know, we I'm sure he wasn't very happy with his own play last season and uh you know having that realization that you need to be in better shape to be able to fight for minutes at the nba level um i like that's a great realization for him to come to kind of of his own accord i'm sure the the team is communicating with him like hey these are the things we want you to work on while you're in france while you're in off in the off season um but it's it's good to see that he kind of drilled down and focused on that as well um it also sounded like there were no 
hard feelings. Uh, if you remember like way back when the pandemic like first started, he kind of like left for France without really telling the team. And they were kind of like, wait, wait, where, where is he? <laughs> uh, and so at least, you know, at least if he's back home in France, like working on his game, working on things you, you want him to worry about. And he did it like kind of his, of his own accord. You feel uh, less, less bad or less like, oh, less worried that uh, he's not focusing on the right things moving forward. Um, but yeah, it's just like this, uh, this thing with with Seku is really interesting because like we we talked a little bit last week about how he could play in the there could be stretches where like he's in the G League right because other guys could be ahead of him in the rotation but if he is communicating well and he's worked on his body and he's raised his skill level like all of a sudden like he's in the rotation every night and you have even like more incentive to find uh minutes for him like moving forward. And so I'm, I'm very, very excited. I'm going to say I'm excited like five jillion more times <laughs> over the course of this podcast, but it's been like nine months. I just want to see where these guys are at. We get to see it basically as soon as Friday. Yeah. And teenagers are going to be teenagers. And that's the thing about sick yeah. teenager. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, and here's, here's what I thought about as well. When I, when I thought about that, quote from Seku. Like if you go back and look at sort of his game by game performance from a season ago, he had that monstrous game against Boston. And that was in that was on January 15. And after that, he just sort of hit a wall. He only really had one good game after that throughout the, the rest of the season. And you know, to me, you know, when I was a player, um obviously nowhere near the level of these guys, but you know, being able to have that performance where you know that you had your absolute peak contribution to your team and you helped deliver a win for your team to me that is that was always the most motivating factor when it came to the offseason and so you know part of me wonders maybe Seku realized like I'm capable of contributing in a way that can help my put my team over the top against a strong team like Boston and the thing that I got to do is get my body right because it wasn't quite where it needed to be. And it, hopefully if that's his thought process, I think that's really impressive from a young man. All right. The next, the next uh, person I really wanted to quote from pull some quotes from was Troy Weaver. Uh, Troy has a sense of humor. It's good to see Troy's sense of humor. <laughs> he was uh, looking at us on Pistons Twitter, making jokes and he, he heard the jokes and he's fine with them. Troy Weaver said, let the record show. There's a lot of talk about us collecting centers. Absolutely. I love big guys. I believe that's the way you win by controlling the backboards. I've never seen a team win the title without that. So Ben, I know you were a little bit concerned about how the team would rebound. Uh, when you hear Troy Weaver say that you win by controlling the backboards, is it, how much does that, how much does that kind of make you feel better about the state of the team? Kindred spirits, my dude, Troy, S- send me the check. I know you've been listening to the podcast. <laughs> Royalties, commissions, I mean, you call it what you got to call it. No, but seriously, I mean, this is fantastic. I don't think this Pistons team, as it is currently constructed, is going to you know, go out and dominate the board. But what it tells me is uh, Troy Reaver realizes something. And I think if you watch the teams who were really successful in the bubble and ultimately you know, made it out of the first round, they may be constructed in unconventional ways, but all of those teams were able to body up and and win on the glass when they needed to. So, you know, right now, are the Pistons going to 
go control the backboards? No, Mason Plumley and, and Blake Griffin aren't going to get that done. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it shows that there's uh, – Weaver realizes this is a long-term process, and he realizes uh, that you still got to be able to – you still got to be able to rebound. You can't give up uh, additional shots and extra possessions and expect to win in the NBA. So you got to play defense. You got to rebound. That, that's got to be the expectation. That's your baseline. That's where you start from. Uh, so I'm absolutely happy about that. And, you know, look, I maybe I'll be wrong about this, but I, I still think, like, there's the meta right now in the NBA is go small, um, you know, create mismatch problems. And I get it. Like, you can do that, especially when you've got a guy like LeBron James on your team, right? And you've got LeBron and Anthony Davis. You can go uh, wreck everyone's defensive schemes. But, you know, I, I think there's – if you look at the way the Pistons won with the going to work Pistons crew, they sort of were the anti-meta of the NBA at that time. Like you look how they beat the Lakers with this hard nosed bruising defense, um, two of the best defenders in the NBA anchoring uh, the best defense in the NBA. I'm not saying that that anti-meta is going to happen again in 2020 or 2021 or 2022, but I do think there's a there's an anti-meta to be exploited, and I think big big men have a place in that, even if the big men look a little bit different than the Ben Wallaces and Rashid Wallaces of the bygone eras. Yeah, I love I love meta discussion. Like this is great. <laughs> no, uh, I think like when you look at the the team that won the title last year, right? The Lakers. The Lakers were one of the best defensive teams in the league during the regular season. And they were one of the better defensive teams uh, in the NBA, like in the bubble and during the playoffs. And a lot of that was, in fact, because, like, you know, they could go to Anthony Davis at center. And Anthony Davis kind of morphed into the the version of Anthony Davis we all expected him to be, uh, to grow into, like, when he was drafted number one overall. Uh, as a def- anchoring as a defender and being able to create his own shot uh, on the offensive end. But at the same time, like, you, when you have a, you know, 36-year-old LeBron James and you you flank that guy with not necessarily like um, not necessarily a lot of shot creation or not necessarily a lot of like small guards but you flank that guy with like-sized wing defenders like in KCP and Danny Green in Alex Caruso in uh, like Caruso's a little bit smaller but still like a pretty good defender at 6364. And um, even even a guy like Rajon Rondo, who I think is like six three six four, um, and was a better defender during the playoffs than he showed in the in the regular season, just because you know a vet, he's conserving energy. Um, but you you flank those guys with, and you have so you have those wing defender guys, and then you have like centers and other big men, right? You got your Dwight Howards, you got your JaVale McGee's, you got your Markeith Morris's that enable AD to kind of slide back and forth between four and five. Um, like to me, like when you when you talk about the meta, you look at the way the Lakers are constructed. They're constructed around size and length at every position, and uh, the ability to get stops, right? And the ability to lean on you know an otherworldly offensive talent of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, so that you know you don't get stopped at the other end. So, what's the easier part of that equation for the Pistons to emulate is to, <laughs> to get guys who can get stops, right? It's, it's much harder to to get Anthony Davis and LeBron James than it is to get guys who can get stops. And so if you want to build a, a winning culture and a winning team, you you start on that defensive end and you bring that effort every night and that effort gets rewarded 
more nights than you'd think based upon the level of talent on the roster. And so I think Troy Weaver like absolutely has the uh, the fundamentals of the case on how you build a winning team. I think he's got those like down. What remains to be seen is like if the execution goes the way he wants it to go, right? Yeah, and I mean, look, anyone who wins an NBA championship benefits from some significant stroke of luck, right? I mean, for the Pistons, the most recent championship, Grant Hill for Ben Wallace is what what ultimately uh, was the biggest contributor to that. And I think Chauncey Billups, uh, originally a mid-level exception guy who becomes one of the best point guards of his, his generation. Like, there's a lot of luck involved there. But what you're saying, Laz, is I think exactly right. If you can get all of those peripheral, like, core components right and then you you get lucky once then you really got something so uh maybe you're talking me into troy weaver's off season (laughs) the closer we get to the start of the season i don't know less i I mean like you know i don't consider that my job but that's (laughs) that's the way i'm seeing things right like i i see the vision what's so important for me personally is that you like i i understand like the the vision of what you're trying to pull off that was why I had a lot of empathy and sympathy for Stan Van Gundy because, like, I I saw what he was trying to do most of the time. It just like didn't work because he for, forgot about third string point guards ever mattering. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you see, yeah. So I, I see Troy Weaver's theory of the case, and uh, I see how it could work. Um, you know, I don't know if that theory of the case like involved paying Jeremy Grant twenty million dollars, and and, and he, he said about Jeremy Grant that Jeremy Grant. He said Jeremy was our number one target on the list to go after in free agency. Uh, he, Jer- he went on to say that the Pistons have had two iterations of great teams and that Jeremy Grant could play on both of them. So I, I kind of get where he's coming from uh, with with the emphasis on uh, defense and skill and size. But like, man, I don't know. Like, I don't think Jeremy Grant is like the Rashid Wallace of this team if does that make sense ben yeah he's closer to the tayshaun prince isn't he like yeah yeah okay so lots to unpack in a very short quote there first thing uh it is reassuring to me when when jeremy grant was signed it just it felt like it came out of nowhere right there were there were no rumors about it it did (laughs) (laughs) right right it did it absolutely did It, it came out of nowhere there was um, no buzz about it. It happened like first thing in free agency. It was for all of this money, but obviously this was part of the plan. So that that's a little bit reassuring to me. Um, and yes, I think Jeremy Grant would have fit in very nicely with either of those championship teams. I mean, I'm just old enough to remember the original bad boys. Of course, Jeremy would have fit in perfectly there with uh, Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars kind of running the show offensively. Uh, he would have been a, a fantastic third option, really. Um, in their starting lineup. But, um, you know, can Jeremy Grant be the number one or number two guy, I think is the question he's going to, he's going to get a chance to prove, right? I mean, he's going to get a chance to prove whether he belongs in the conversation as the number one or number two option, or if he's like, you know, the Tayshaun Prince who you go to some of the time, but not all of the time. Yeah. When I compared him to Rashid Wallace, I was thinking of, more in terms of like the priority they placed on acquiring him. Ah, right? I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like Dumars like really talked about how like Rashid like was the key thing that made everything else go. And that's why they were able to, yeah, to start winning championships. And that seems to be the level of priority Troy Weaver has placed 
on uh, getting a guy like Jeremy Grant uh, in for this Pistons team. Now, uh, Jeremy Grant like doesn't make that much sense right now. <laughs> right. Uh, well, you forgot the rest of the team, Troy. I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. You got the icing yeah. but forgot the cake. Kind of. Was it's, it. it's kind of important to you know fondant tastes terrible by itself. But uh, the other the other thing is like. Jeremy Grant makes a lot more sense for this team when Blake Griffin isn't on it. Jeremy Grant makes a lot more sense for this team when, uh, when and if Killian Hayes like turns into your Chauncey Billups, yes. like elite yeah. level point guard type of player. Uh, Jeremy Grant makes a lot more sense for this team when um, you know you have another complimentary guy like a Seku taking the place uh, on the on the wing next to him in the mold of like a Tayshon. Jeremy Grant makes a lot more sense in this team if. You know, they end up with the a top three pick in next year's draft, mm-hmm. and that guy is a wing-sized creator, and he's the, the second option playing off of that guy, right? So there, there are a lot of scenarios in which Jeremy Grant, like, makes sense on a future, comma, winning iteration of the Detroit Pistons. It's just, like, this is not that iteration of right. the Detroit Pistons. Yeah, absolutely. But, but it's still, you know, I, I still see the vision, Troy. Still keep listening. Keep listening, Troy. We appreciate you. <laughs> and send the checks. Don't forget. Oh, yeah. Checks are important. Uh, the other the other big free agency acquisition was Mason Plumley. We talked a lot about how Mason Plumley was going to uh, help facilitate Killian Hayes' development. And then uh, Mason Plumley like came in and kind of like showed us all why he was going to do that for Killian in a really, a really uh, lengthy but detailed quote that I'm going to read to you guys in full. So Mason Plumlee starts out by saying, he says, the best help I can give to him, him being Killian, is understanding what he likes. I play with a lot of good guards. Some guys want you to screen in space. Some guys want you to get up and get their defender off of them. Some guys want to play downhill. Some guys want to snake. All those nuances to the pick and roll, it's more important to understand him, his game, and what he likes then it, and then it's my job to get him open. It's my job to make myself available when they put bigger defenders on him, things like that. Everyone says it's a pick and roll league. There's a lot of pick and roll, but understand understanding the detail of it, I think we can get him going early. Ben, uh, were you as impressed with Mason Plumlee's kind of uh, optionality around the pick and roll at 101 as, as I was? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that sounds more like a, a 10-year NBA head coach than it does a 30-year-old or 29-year-old. I forget exactly where he is. Uh, center from the NBA. I mean, that was just a, a fantastic articulation of exactly what his role is going to be in the next two to three seasons. And look, I think I'm excited about the fact that he understands that so intricately, intricately and with such nuance and is willing to embrace that role. Uh, to me, that's really exciting. Now, he's still got to win me over, right? Like I'm still, <laughs> I'm still a little bit of a skeptic about this, this signing, but uh, absolutely thrilled to hear those kinds of things and look Killian's gonna have to figure some of this out as well right so the fact that you've got a starting center who's willing to do any and all of those things in conjunction with a point guard who has to figure out how to do all of those things let alone what he actually prefers uh, obviously makes sense And, and look I'm gonna give give a little bit of a shout out to some of the folks on Twitter who have kind of called me to the carpet for some of my negativity um people were onto this sooner than I was. And I, and I appreciate that Mason Plumlee was obviously signed 
for Killian Hayes and that, and that's really it. Right. And so, um, again, I see the vision Laz, like you were saying, I get it now. Um, I don't know if it was the best option. I'll say that, but <laughs> I get it. I get it. And it makes sense, especially after hearing Mason talk about it a little bit. Yeah. And, and to your point, Ben, I think that, uh, like a big thing for Killian will be like, okay, when we're going through these examples, he's like, okay, maybe I do like want to snake. I want to snake the pick and roll. I want to come back to the middle. Um, and I want to like get to my pull up jumper. And then he finds like, okay, defenses like shift and react to that. What's plan B? What's plan C? What's plan D? And it's hard to figure that stuff out on the fly at the NBA level as you're 19 years old. And so having a guy like Mason Plumley who's like, hey, okay, like this is what Jamal Murray did, right? Like Mason Plumley has played with like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum, right? Like he's like, this is what Dame did. This is what CJ did. You know, like having, um, you know, even having a guy like Derrick Rose would be like, hey, like this is what I would do. Um, even if what I would do is take like an 18 footer all the time. <laughs> uh, having, having those voices like in Killian's ear can really only help it can like you once you you can give him the wide like range of options and he can like pull what he likes to do see how it reacts to that and then kind of pull, go through the rolodex right like i think um and i think like having that as opposed to um a guy like christian wood i i, I don't want to diss christian wood and like i don't i don't want to uh, like uh mess with christian wood like on the way out but having a guy like christian wood who's like isn't as knowledgeable about that level at the game as Mason Plumley is uh, having a guy like Christian Wood who's probably just like, if you get me the ball in a scoring position, like I will score. And that is how we will solve this problem. Right. Is, is like, is like, that's probably true, but that doesn't necessarily help make Killian Hayes like a better player. And so you understand why the team would prioritize um, Killian's like learning and development over the retention of a guy who was much more talented than Maislin Plumley, as evidenced by the fact that he's making, I think, like six more million dollars a year, um, but like not as able to uh, impart that knowledge and education on, on a young guy. You know, that's that's a fantastic point. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Mason Plum, I said, like, is that an eight million dollar a year answer? Like, no, still like a six million dollar a year answer, but it's fine. Like, that's not my money. It's it's Tom Gorris's money. That's true. And I. So two points to piggyback off what you're saying. The first one is um, maybe it'll help me and other Mason Plumley skeptics to be a little more okay with it if we just give half of um, Mason's salary on our head to Killian Hayes, right? Like, so let's, <laughs> let's just pretend, right, that Killian Hayes is getting that money, uh, and that makes a little more sense. The other thing I think I'll say um, is y- you talked about Christian Wood, and I think you're right. Christian Wood – my take on him was he's just so very raw and he's, he's always sort of best in that unstructured sort of broken play scenario. He just makes something out of nothing, right? Like he's, he's very good at that. But if the Pistons believe Killian Hayes is a sort of franchise level point guard, and it, it seems to be that they sort of think that right now, it also makes more sense of the Jeremy Grant signing over Christian Wood um, than it would otherwise, right? Because Jeremy Grant is, not known for being the guy who wants the ball in the chaos and then makes his own shot out of nothing, right? Like he's the guy who's been playing off of other people. So uh, maybe this, this quote from Mason Plumlee is helping reroute the way I'm thinking about Jeremy Grant's contract as well. Okay. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily thinking that, but I, I, <laughs> I can get with it. I can get with it. 
Okay. The uh, the last real quote I wanted to talk about today with you, Ben, is from Daylon Wright. Uh, Daylon Wright said about basically he was he really wanted to come to Detroit, but he got traded to Memphis. And he couldn't figure it out, and so he was really happy to to come to Detroit. Um, finally, be able to uh, in trade. Um, and people were like, why would Daylon Wright like want to come to Detroit, basically? Which I thought was weird. Because like, do you guys are you guys like happy to have a guy like Daylon Wright <laughs> or not? Like, would you rather have like Bano Udre again? Like, would do you want me to go through the list of third string point guards again? No. And then uh Daylon Wright tweeted out, he said, if they listen to what I said, I clearly said when I knew my time was up in Toronto, I was trying to head to Detroit, but I was put in the Memphis trade. So Daylon Wright wanted to be in Detroit, wanted to play. Actually, I don't know if he wanted to be in Detroit per se, but I think he wanted to play for a coach he trusted in Dwayne Casey. Uh, ben, does it make you feel better that guys like Derek Rose and Daylon Wright and Killian Hayes, who we talked about on previous podcasts, like really wanted to come to Detroit? Is it is it useful to have these guys like openly express that they're excited to come to a, a city and a team that's not particularly good? Well, hey, I'm going to take the win, right? No matter why yeah. he's coming here, <laughs> if it's if it's for Coach Casey or it's Detroit, the city, I'm going to take the win. Um, look, I think that says a lot about Dwayne Casey. I mean, that that's really exceptional. When you have a guy who he's going to be a second or third string player, right? Like even in the best case scenario, but still wants to come play for Coach. That says a lot about Dwayne Casey. And, and shout out to Dwayne Casey because. Look, I don't always agree with his X's and O's, but seems to be a, a wonderful, fantastic human being. And to have an NBA-level player say say that kind of thing uh, about you, and that's how I'm going to choose to interpret this this tweet and this quote, I mean, that's, that says a whole lot. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, sometimes you got to turn the tide. And, and maybe, you know, having enough of these guys like Adelon Wright, who clearly an NBA player, right? Like, he belongs in the NBA, and he can contribute to a winning rotation. Uh, you know, enough of those guys, maybe that changes the tone um, over time for the Pistons, and I'll take that. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, this quote says to me, like, two things, mainly. Um, it says to me that, like like you pointed out, that Dwayne Casey is just, like, an excellent – it's a reiteration of how excellent a human being Dwayne Casey is and how uh, much that attracts players uh, to Detroit. You know, this is not the – like the, we think of the NBA like as a league, as an entertainment product, but it's also a business place, right? Like you, if you've had good work experiences with your coworkers, you would be more likely to reunite with them in the future on different projects, right? If you think of it in terms of that, like this makes a lot of sense. The other thing, uh, the second thing that I would think this is portending is that, uh, you know, Dwayne Casey obviously has a lot of faith in Daylon Wright. Daylon Wright has a lot of faith in Dwayne Casey. It wouldn't surprise me if Dalen Wright ended up being the starting shooting guard uh, for this Detroit Pistons team as another as another ball handler who can help out Killian Hayes. Um, you know, if it comes down to that, uh, as a guy who can kind of like get a team into some offense and, and steady things. If you know your 19 year old point guard's turning the ball over, but he's playing so well on defense that you can't just take him out. Um, if he just needs like a, a, a minute or two, a possession or two to to kind of keep his head. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see a guy like Daylon Wright um, provide that and that be so valuable to a guy like Dwayne Casey that he would choose to start him next to Killian Hayes over uh, basically somebody who shot better, uh, who would be like a better uh, floor spacer around like a Killian Hayes-led pick and roll, like a Svee Mikhailuk, like a Wayne Ellington, etc. Laz, two things about that. First, 
you just casually snuck portends into a podcast, and I, I love that. That is some high-quality vocabulary I really like. Second thing, yeah, that's a great shout-out. Like, I think, I think that's a real possibility because especially when you think about – if we assume Jeremy Grant's going to start at the three, which I'm kind of assuming at this point. Yeah, me too. You've got Grant, Blake, and Mason – backing up the two guards like look none of those guys is obviously going to be above the rim shot like shot blocker right but you've got three versatile solid team defenders so maybe you're not quite as worried about some size disadvantages if you go small with the long right so i like that shot out les i think i think that'll be interesting to watch yeah me too i mean and you know Guess what, Ben? I we got to do the thing. I get to do the thing. Uh, we got we got games this week. We got games. We got games. So the Pistons play the New York Knicks. Uh, okay, that that tempers a little bit of my excitement right. about about the games. Uh, but they play the New York Knicks uh, twice this week. Once on Friday. Once on Sunday. Uh, both of those are preseason games. They I think both of them are available on Fox Sports Detroit. And if they're not, that's going to be really unfortunate because that's the only way I can watch games. So yeah. Well, the internet is a magical place, Les. Let me tell you about the internet. Oh, that, that's very true. I could, uh, <laughs> I could just go deeper into the internet. But Ben, uh, what do you, what do you, how many games do you expect the Pistons to win this week? Ooh, oh. that feels good. Oh wow, yeah. They they count. They don't count, but yeah, Even they matter the as much be, as predictions. Yeah, the answer is going to be zero, but that's okay, right? I yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they're going to win any games. I'll be shocked <laughs> if they, you know, if they. If they play Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose, one of those games will have a sense maybe of like how good their offense can be, right? Which is going to mm-hmm. have a lot to do with how many games they win or lose. Uh, so yeah, I'm not going to expect them to win any games, but I don't care. It'll be, it'll be great to see some basketball, some Pistons basketball. It's been a long, long time. It's been a long time. I, I would expect Blake to play maybe the first game and the last game. The first game just like knock some of the rust off against people who aren't on the Detroit Pistons, and the last game obviously to kind of keep them fresh before the season actually starts uh, on December twenty third for the Pistons. But yeah, like Blake is not going to play. If Blake plays like twenty five minutes in these preseason games, I will be stunned because mm-hmm. there's there's no there's no reason for it. All right, Ben, great episode, man. This is fun. Yeah, this was fun talking about was- talk. I like it. This is the season starting, man. This is great. Uh, Laz is like ready for Christmas, like the, the five-year-old <laughs> ready to wake up at 4 a.m. Let's go. Okay, so I, we, we're doing digital Christmas this uh, this year, obviously, because yeah. of everything that's going on. Um, but what that means for me physically is that I have a bunch of like Amazon boxes just like oh my piled God. up in a, in a corner of the living yeah. room. Yeah, and so like yeah, I am I am like a kid on Christmas. I got all these boxes that I can't open for another month and a half. I hear that. I've got a stack ready to go out to the post office tomorrow. The kids' presents are all hidden in the basement. And man, okay, so my kids are four and one. I'm gonna have to like literally wrap everything Christmas Eve because if I if I wrap them and leave them out now, they will get opened <laughs> for do they, sure. Do for they hunt? Sure. Are they already on the hunt for presents? No, she. They never go to our down to our basement. My oldest is scared of our basement, so that actually oh. works out well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Ben. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, where they can find uh, pictures of your adorable children. Uh, where they can find uh, more critiques of Mason Plumley's contract. Uh, <laughs> let people know where they can talk to you. Hey, you know, right now it's it's on Twitter at BR Galker. Uh, look, man, I'm excited about this season, Laz. I'm. It's not because I'm excited about wins and losses. A, a year ago, or a season ago, not a year ago, but a season ago, 
I thought we could actually have a competitive team and win some games. Injuries killed that. But honestly, I'm to the point where I'm more excited about this, this season, this rebuild than I really have been for a long time. So yeah, come talk on Twitter. Um, I, I always check out the comments of the podcast posts. So, you know, feel free to hit us up there as well on Detroit bad boys. Yeah. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at last chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. All right, everyone, this has been the Detroit bad boys podcast. Thanks for listening. And we will talk to y'all next week. See you later.